Hello and welcome to another podcast by Morgan LaRoche. We recently delivered a podcast on how to carry out disciplinary investigation. And before listening further to this podcast, you may wish to listen to that one first for the basics. The main point of which was to follow both your own internal disciplinary procedure to the letter, assuming that it is well drafted, and also the ACAS code of practice and separate guidance on disciplinary and grievance procedures. A well-thumbed copy of the ACAS code should be on every employer's desk, as if an employee ever brings a claim for unfair dismissal after being dismissed for misconduct, tribunals would be measuring your actions against that code. This podcast is about how to deal with a workplace investigation where there is potentially a criminal element to the allegations against your employee. Where there may be a separate police investigation about to commence, or which is already ongoing, there are several additional considerations for you as the employer in your own investigation. As such, we would always advise that such investigations are carried out by an experienced HR professional and or managers who are trained in carrying out workplace investigations. Also, given the complexities, it would be wise to seek legal advice at an early stage so that you do not trip up unwittingly. This is, of course, a very topical subject at the moment. In December 2021, in response to press coverage exposing alleged parties at Number 10 Downing Street and other government offices, the Prime Minister commissioned an investigation into alleged breaches of the COVID regulations and the Ministerial Codes of Practice, which was conducted by Sue Gray, a senior Whitehall civil servant. However, since Sue Gray commenced her investigation and interviewed all relevant witnesses, she has been forced to sit on her full findings in terms of which specific individuals breached the regulations and Ministerial Code, whilst Scotland Yard carries out its own inquiry. At the time of delivering this podcast, it is believed that the police investigation could drag on into late May 2022. The terms of reference of Sue Gray's investigation, which are available online, provide an excellent case study in how to conduct an internal disciplinary process whilst there is a parallel police investigation. This is not surprising given that she had top QCs advising her on the process. Her preliminary report, which does not name individuals, is a useful reference to understand how the two processes intertwine. So what are these additional considerations to your ordinary disciplinary investigations? The additional complexities depend on the scenario, which could be one of the following. Firstly, where an alleged criminal act has not taken place during the course of their employment or during working hours and appears to be unrelated to their employment. For example, as an employer, you may read in the local newspaper that one of your employees has been charged with dangerous driving. Secondly, where the employee is alleged to have committed a criminal act in work, such as stealing money from a petty cash tin, and thirdly, where the employee, out of working hours, is accused of assaulting a co-worker, for example, in the local pub on a night out. Therefore, whilst not in work time, but with a work element given the colleague's involvement. 
So let's consider the first of these, where you read in the paper that one of your employees has been charged with dangerous driving. In such a scenario, you must consider whether the criminal charge has, in fact, any relevance to their employment. Have they actually breached any of your policies? Are they required to drive for work or to transport customers from A to B? Do you have a code of conduct or is it your disciplinary policy that driving offences could lead to termination of employment? If none of these are relevant because, for example, they're an office worker, then it is likely you would determine that the criminal matter has no bearing and you do not need to carry out your own disciplinary investigation. Indeed, if you were to take disciplinary action in such a scenario, you could find yourself in, tri in the tribunal defending an unfair dismissal claim. So, to recap, decide first whether the criminal allegation necessarily means a disciplinary investigation, and if not, make no further reference to it. With regard to the second scenario, where the, where the worker steals money from a petty cash tin, this alleged act is very much in the course of employment, and your disciplinary policy should make clear that theft as an act of gross misconduct will lead to dismissal, as trust goes to the heart of the employment relationship. The key consideration here is whether you report it to the police. As the aggrieved party, this is your call. If it is a large amount of money, and we know of cases where up to £2,000 have been kept in the roses tin, then you should consider reporting the matter to the police, as it is arguably a matter for the wider public interest. After all, if guilty, this employee could go on to do the same at a future employer's place of work. If referring it to the police, you should ensure that the police agree to your carrying out of your own investigations, or whether they instruct you to suspend them pending their own investigations or even the criminal trial. I'll consider that further in a minute. The third scenario, where two employees are involved in an altercation outside of work and where one is accused of assault, could be a disciplinary matter, depending on all the circumstances and how your code of conduct and or disciplinary policy defines misconduct. The employee's potential argument that is outside of working time and therefore none of the employer's business will not hold tight if the disciplinary policy defines misconduct as violent behaviour outside of work or conduct outside of work, which is likely to bring the employer, employer into disrepute. If defined as gross misconduct, then commence your own internal investigation and liaise with the police to ensure that they are agreeable to your doing so, or whether they should be suspended pending their own investigation or the criminal trial. So why might the police insist that you suspend your own internal processes pending their own investigations or the trial? This is not ideal for the employer, as police investigations and criminal hearings can take months or even years, during which time you will be suspending the employee on full pay. It is therefore crucial that you liaise closely with the police to see what, if any, steps you can take to carry out your own investigations. They may attach conditions to your proceeding with the investigation, such as requiring you to advise the employee 
of their right not to answer questions. The employee too could, too, sorry, the employee too could make an application for an injunction if they believe that the employer's internal processes will prejudice their criminal trial. However, the courts are very reluctant to prevent employers doing so. The employee can of course refuse to answer questions and the employer would have to obtain evidence to satisfy a tribunal that a finding of gross misconduct was reasonable. For example, if two other employees witnessed the assault in scenario three and gave evidence to that effect, then that could be sufficient to proceed to a disciplinary hearing and a decision to dismiss. An employment tribunal, if determining a claim for unfair dismissal in one of these scenarios, is not subjecting the employer to the same burden of proof as the police and CPS are subject to in criminal proceedings. For a crime to be proved, the evidence must be beyond reasonable doubt. Whereas for a finding of a fair dismissal, the employer has to have a reasonable belief, which is based on a reasonable investigation. This is arguably a lower burden of proof than in civil cases too, which is on the balance of probabilities. As the employer, you are not, therefore, expected to be as forensic as the police or a top barrister in compiling your evidence. It is also important to note that you should not rely on any criminal conviction alone before taking disciplinary action. You must undertake your own investigation, which, of course, may include evidence from the criminal trial. There must, of course, also be a disciplinary hearing and a right of appeal. I just want to end on some key points in carrying out any disciplinary investigation which have been covered in this podcast and the previous one, but which cannot be overstated. You must make sure that you have a well-drafted disciplinary policy in place that provides for an investigation process and the key stages of that process. Is there a contractual right of suspension? Suspension is not always considered to be a neutral act and the employer must consider whether suspension is appropriate in the particular circumstances or whether, for example, the alleged aggressor can be separated in the workplace from the alleged victim. You should ensure that an investigator is trained in conducting investigations, has a neutral standpoint and understands that the purpose of the investigation is to establish the facts and not to establish guilt or innocence. That is the police and CPS's job in the criminal investigation. You, as the employer, are not subject to that onerous standard of proof. Confidentiality is critical. You must ensure that everyone involved in the process is aware that the matter is highly confidential and protect identities where necessary. Do not badger witnesses to elicit the response you want or expect, or put words in their mouth. Again, this emphasizes the importance of training your managers in investigations. You should ensure that there is a clear process for taking notes of meetings. You should also ensure that support is offered to all all relevant parties. Merely being, being advised that you are being investigated can be stressful.
you should ensure that all relevant parties are kept informed of the anticipated timings of the investigation and what to expect. An investigation process can be extremely isolating and stressful for both the alleged victim and the accused. Having a clear timetable and providing updates if the timetable slips will help to alleviate this stress. And finally, you should ensure that witnesses do not have an opportunity to collude to collude and, and perfect their evidence. If two or more key employees are to be interviewed, try to run them straight after each other to reduce the risk of collusion. Thank you for your time in listening to this podcast. If you have any queries, please do get in touch with the employment team here at Morgan La Roche. Thank you.